Hello and welcome to the INF Club podcast. If you're an INFJ or an INFP personality type, this podcast will help you feel better understood, learn more about yourself, and hopefully find some clarity and inspiration as you go on your own personal journey. I'm your host, Jazz Hoti, and on the podcast, I'll be sharing interviews with INFJs, INFPs, and special guests, as well as my own personal stories and perspectives. With that being said, thanks so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. So this is episode two of the podcast, and um, I've started recording these interviews several weeks ago. I was initially sharing them um, only with the INF Club community, so with members of the blog, and I just decided um, recently to open them up uh, a little bit wider and to make them available for anyone to listen to. Um, So I've been interviewing a number of INFPs and INFJs, um, kind of members of INF Club, uh, and also guests from outside, um, some of whom are INFPs and INFJs themselves, um, or I, I think otherwise have something interesting to share. Um, so today's uh, episode is, is the first interview I'm sharing with you. Um, it's with a lovely lady called Bryn Bonino, um, which is an Italian surname, if you're wondering. And with Bryn, I talk about identity, traveling, making friends in a new city, quitting her job and changing careers, running a business as an INFJ, her daily routine, and a whole lot more. So um, we cover a lot of ground in this one. And uh, yeah, in these interviews, you never really know um, kind of where it where it goes and where it's going to take you. So I hope you enjoy this one. As I say, this is the first interview uh, of the podcast. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Great. So we're recording and this week's episode is with Bryn Bonino from Austin, Texas in the United States. Bryn is an INFJ and thanks so much Bryn for for being here and for taking part in this. Of course, I'm happy to be here. And um, I really enjoyed um, reading your written interview, which will be shared alongside kind of this this podcast interview. Um, And it looks like you've moved around a little bit. And you grew up in various places all around the US. Yeah, I think when people say that I've moved around a bit, I don't know where to start. But I think you... (laughs) You started at a good place from when I was growing up. Um, the first time I moved where I lived, I think I was about one year old. Um, and I grew up in how many? One, two, three, four different states. Um, and then went to graduate school in a fifth state. And then my all my extended family is from a sixth state. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of states. I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and so... My identity, as far as where I'm from, depends on whom I'm talking to. I get that. Did, did you? Um, does that? Because um, I like I have got a simpler upbringing, I guess, and that I've always been in London. Um, but I've always had a weird. It's always been a bit weird asking, answering the question where I'm from, just because my parents are Indian, and I'm kind of feel close to my Indian and my my Sikh culture in some ways so that that question where are you from I say I'm 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 like British Indian but even like I've never really come up it it just feels weird answering that question and I guess I was wondering with you you've you've been in so many places does it feel odd answering that question do you say Austin do you, you you said it depends on who you're talking to yeah so what I learned is that if I tell the truth then it's um well, the, the truth is variable, right? Whenever right. you're talking about so many different things. But if I say, for example, where I was born, which is um, when I was living in Italy, it seemed like people would say, well, wherever you were born, that's where you're from. Well, I was born in Chicago, but I don't remember living there. And then right. um, others will say, well, 
wherever you spent your childhood, your formidable childhood years, um, that was California, but we don't have family there and I haven't been there in a very long time. Um, and then, so I have a story about where telling people where I'm from. Um, I had gone to, um, high school and middle school in a Northern suburb of Dallas. Um, but then I lived in Miami for 10 years. Um, and I moved back to Dallas. Um, and I was meeting people that were from my same suburb and I would tell them that I was from Plano as well. And I kid you not, a couple of people said to me, no, you're not. Because I didn't, what? yeah, I didn't sound like them. And I guess I didn't dress like them. Um, so when I was living in Dallas, I told people I was from Miami because they never questioned it. When I was living in Miami, I told people I um, was from Texas, but I'd lived there for a long time. Right. But I found it really interesting when I was traveling this summer, I was in um, Italy, Portugal, and Spain. And whereas I was technically from Dallas, but no one, um, well, that, that assertion of being, being from there was challenged a lot after I lived in Miami. When I was traveling in Spain, Italy, and Portugal, in every single country, people from that very country asked me for directions. Which is something in you their do language. if you think that person, yeah, in their language. <laughs> so they yeah, were, they were. It's it's funny you say that because I was going to ask because because you know I, I've I've seen you and I know you've got Italian blood and um, I've been to all of those places and again the same thing happens to me. So I was going to ask you, yeah, do people just uh, um, assume you're one of the locals? Which it sounds like yeah. they do. Yeah, they did, and I thought it was very amusing. Um, and, and I really liked it. I liked that I was accepted so easily to be one of them. Um, yeah, obviously, when I started speaking, they could tell I wasn't from there. <laughs> but right. um, they accepted me as one of them in first impression, which I really appreciated. Yeah. And those um, Spanish and Italian uh, cultures, from what I've experienced from, from being over there, you know, from, from visiting, um, they are quite just warm um, and um, accepting and just, just very friendly um, in, in my experience, more, more so than perhaps other places that I've been to, um, even, even probably in, in, in the UK. Um, but yeah, they're, they're particularly warm and um, very friendly uh, um, in, in, in my experience to everyone. So I'm glad that you've, you've experienced the same. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, do you feel that moving around so much, um, and it sounds like kind of in uh, kind of childhood and teen years as well, um, has that shaped you in, 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 any, in any way, do you feel? Um, I, I, I'd imagine it must have been interesting moving around, but also um, it come with its challenges um you know having to settle down and, and make roots somewhere new and make new friends and like you've already described perhaps not always feeling included um I wondered if you could talk a bit about that yeah I think that's a really good question and it's something that I hadn't really reflected on until I got a little bit older and and was able to look back on my life experiences I think that how I stand apart from my friends that have lived in one, say one city, um, or just maybe a couple cities their entire life is that, um, for one, I am very happy traveling. Um, and my personality is one that I will figure things out wherever I am. Um, I also realize that when I travel by myself, I can make friendly relationships with people that I meet while I'm traveling to the point that I don't feel alone. And I think that's also something that I, I stand out from other people as well. Um, I have a couple of friends that have moved to a new city um, as adults, like in their 30s or early 40s, and they say how it's so hard to make friends and they feel very lonely. Honestly, I don't remember the last time I felt lonely. And I think that's because I, um, just growing up, I learned how to make friends, but I also 
learned how to be comfortable with myself. Right. And um, how, and this might not be an easy question to answer, how, how is it you learned to, to do those things? But I guess you said you had to, but was there, do, do you remember consciously having to, to get yourself to, to speak up? I know you, you, just, you describe yourself as fairly outgoing in the interview um, anyway. Yeah, in the written interview, I said I was um, fairly outgoing. And, and I say that that's because that's how a lot of people will describe me. Um, I had a recent experience of going to a lot of local um, small business networking groups because I rather recently started my own small business. Um, and when I was chatting with people and m- constantly meeting new people in these networking groups, and then pitching my business for 30 seconds. And then I would, um, at each one of them, I gave a 10 minute talk about what I do. When I talked individually with these people and I told them I was actually an introvert, they didn't believe me. Um, so I think that I come off as pretty, um, outgoing and I do like to, um, talk to people where wherever I am, if, if no one's talking, I'll probably start talking to someone just because I think that building relationships, even if it is a short-term relationship um, with someone that you're in the same room with for an hour, that just makes life so much more enjoyable. And I'd rather have those relationships as opposed to just being um, in myself and not talking to anybody. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's... Uh... I think more often than not, we all kind of want to talk to each other, um, and for some reason, we in a lot in in a lot of instances, we kind of hold back, or we just keep looking down, or keep reading the newspaper, whatever we might be doing. Um, but I guess having moved around and as a as a as a as a, as a solo as someone who's done some solo travel, um, I know you have. Um, yeah, I think I think I think speaking up is uh, speaking is the only thing that that you've got to start speaking to start the relationships in in the first place, haven't you? How can you you can't get to know folks otherwise? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that actually it comes from me having moved around a bit as a kid. Um, right. I realized that I had to put myself out there and start talking to people um, wherever I moved to. Um, Because if I didn't, um, depending on where I was, either no one was going to talk to me or um, I was not going to have as enjoyable of of an experience. And so I just got in the habit of starting conversations um, and and saying something to somebody just to see what would happen. Um, Because it's, um, it, it was kind of a survival mechanism when I would move to a new city, but it was ingrained in me because I started moving around so young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And, and something you, you mentioned a moment ago um, was the fact that you've started a small business recently. Um, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, and I, w- I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this because I know um, – a lot of INFPs and INFJs, um, if not already, um, are very interested in in working for themselves or um, kind of being free from employment um, or whatever you you know, however you might call it. Um, and I just wanted to ask you how you how how you went about doing that. Whether it was was it something you were doing alongside um, a job. Um, did you just quit your job and start doing this kind of from scratch from day, from day zero? Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So I had gotten to a point where I wasn't happy with my career about four or five years ago. Um, and back then I took a, an online career coaching course that helped professionals pivot their career so they could work in something that they would be happier in. Um, and they had me go through a process where I identified not all the jobs that I'd had in the past, but all of the projects that I had had and the projects that I created, um, in the past. And so at at that point, I, um, 
had just finished a doctorate in education, and I also had a master's in um, social sciences. But when I was, um, well, I, I was trying to figure out what jobs I could do with those two graduate degrees. But what I realized is that uh, I had graduated in 1999 with a bachelor's degree in marketing. And even though I didn't necessarily like the jobs that I would get only with that bachelor's degree, what I had been doing this whole time in my entire career was starting up marketing um, projects to drive more traffic and, and bring more attention to whatever project I was working on. Um, so that was an interesting realization. And so what I did at that point is I, um, I started blogging about digital marketing strategies and that turned into um, people that I didn't know contacting me just by, by seeing my blog um, and they would feature feature my blog on their website. Um, and then I decided to come up with a value offering. And this was like, oh my gosh. Well, I, I left out a big chunk of that story. But anyways, this was this was about five, four or five years ago that I started doing this. Um, and when I updated my LinkedIn profile, people started contacting me to work as their marketing consultant for their for their sole proprietorship. So I did that as a side hustle for four years while I was working in my salaried positions, always working in educational administration, either for a, a large school district or for um, a private company. Um, and then I got to the point where I just wasn't happy at all with how my career, my salaried career was going. Um, I took a solo trip to, as I mentioned, uh, three countries in, in Europe um, this past summer. And I kept meeting people that had um, been in my same position, but years previously, um, where they had not been happy with their salaried position, and they quit their jobs and went and started their own businesses. And I I, I must have met 12 people that had told me of their stories. I told them what I've been doing and what I wanted to do. And every single one of them said I was ready. Um, and I realized that with my personality, if I didn't push myself some, I wasn't going to do it. So I got back from that trip and I quit my job and I incorporated my business the next day. Um, and what I've been doing for the past four, four to five months is I have been figuring out how to get the best qualified customers um, for my business. And it's it's been interesting. Um, what I would say to anyone who starts a new business is don't ever think that you're going to have the road to success um, straight straight out of the gate. Even if you think you have a lot figured out until you've done it, until you've walked in those shoes, um, you you will know that there's a lot of pivoting, um, especially the first couple of months, and there's a lot to learn the first year. Amen to that. Yeah, I um, it's it's funny. We we must have because I I left my job in the city back in, um, I think it was May of 2015, um, and later that year I did a career changes course as well. So it sounds like around the same time, um. We we went through similar stuff, but um, I know exactly what you mean. I um, it's it's been a winding, messy journey, and it continues to be that. And um, no matter how much you kind of read or hear other stories about it, it's just um, there's a lot a lot to learn. But also, I, I was speaking about this with someone else yesterday. Um, the kind of mindset shift and um getting used to it just being you I, I don't know what it's been like for you Bryn but psychologically for me um even just having all this time and being in control of um when I wake up what hours I work where I work from I, I had to get used to a lot of that stuff um I don't know how it was for you yeah so when I was salaried, I was used to waking up at 5.45 and, or 6 and just rushing out the door. 
Um, so I could work on um, the organization's uh, schedule. But then, and I, I kept on doing that when I initially started working for myself. But then I realized that um, I wasn't actually doing my best work in the morning. I would do my best work in the later, in, well, in the afternoon and later afternoon and evening. And so I just had to give in to um, what my natural circadian rhythms were. Um, and so what I'm doing now, and it seemed to work, it seems to be working well, is I'm still waking up around six o'clock. But what I was doing to have personal time, which would be um, taking a walk with my dog and journaling and meditating, um, I'm doing that in the morning now. So I can start my day, what I think is on the right foot. So I take some time in the morning to, um, to do things for myself. And then I start working around 10. Um, but then I'll work till about 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. And that seems to work well for me. Um, and I'm much happier doing that as well. Yeah, I um, it sounds like you're still up pretty early. But I was, um, I, I found that I like to kind of get into a groove between about half nine and 10 as well. Um, I like to wake up, kind of have a bit of a routine and kind of, um, whereas before I used to be rushing around in the morning and um, just feel a bit frazzled before the day started. Um, it, it seems to me that I, yeah, I, I start working well from kind of half nine, 10 onwards. Um, and then like you, actually, I seem to get this second wind in the afternoon and evening, which... Um, Sometimes I have to rein in because I could easily just stay up for hours um, and through the night, and that's just not um, not conducive to me because uh, um, I need uh, some semblance of routine and structure. Um, is what I've really quickly found um, in in kind of pursuing my own projects. Um, and I just wanted to go back a little bit. I wanted to ask you before you were doing this on its own and you said for four years you had a salaried job. Mm. Um, how, how are you managing, managing that time wise? Um, was that kind of, was it evenings and weekends you were doing that? Um, energetically, how did it feel to manage it? Because I'm, I'm aware that it can be quite intense, um, for us. And I know you're a highly sensitive person as well. Um, even kind of doing a day job um so yeah how, how was the balance for you I think that's an excellent question and I like how you brought up that um on top of it being a, a, a lot of time commitment I'm also a highly sensitive person um so it would it would suck my energy um but um I don't know I don't know what aspect of my personality is why I'll get super impassioned by certain things and that will give me more energy to to keep on going. Um right. so I would work say 40 50 hours a week and unfortunately sometimes spend an hour a day in the car um going to and from work. Um so I what I had done is I had set up templates and and guides that I could refer to myself. So whenever I had a client that was in a certain situation, I wouldn't have to make everything new. I could refer to a template that I previously um, created or a guide that I'd created. Um, and so that helped my process um, to deliver a good product um, despite my being pretty strapped for time. I also found that if I could meet um, either regularly on the phone or on Zoom or in person with whomever I was working with, that that relationship would give me enough enough incentive to keep on working because I really wanted to do a good job for them. Um, in part because I mean, obviously, it's my reputation, but I generally. I genuinely liked these people and I wanted to do a good job for them because I, I, I didn't want to um, give them a bad product um, and, and, and create a sour um, taste in our relationship. Um, and I think that that's, that's how I did it. And that was, that was the key to me 
to um, side hustling um, for as many years as I did. I I had um, a coaching business for four years, but on top, well, in addition to that, um, four years previous to that. I had set up a um, a business consultancy for NGOs, um, for arts-based NGOs in Rio de Janeiro. Um, and that was um, completely remote. And we were a, um, a team that was stratified amongst um, three different cities in two different countries. Um, and so I did that for four years. And again, I realized that the relationships with the people and then my nerdish passion for um, creating um, interesting social media posts that get engagement and then creating a beautiful website that gets a lot of traffic. I just really like doing that stuff. Um, so those two aspects of my personality kept me going. Yeah. And, and, and that, that NGO gig that you mentioned... Um, it, it feels like you were kind of getting a taste for um, what you're doing now and kind of working remotely and autonomously. Um, anyway, it, it feels like you were learning a lot of stuff prior to um, doing what you're doing now, if that makes sense. Yeah. When I was writing you my my answers to your questions um, before we before we decided to do this podcast, um, I realized that if I were to do things over again, looking back on what I've done in the past 10 years, I would not have gotten so much formal education. And I would have um, continued with the um, business consultancy that I started 10 years ago, um, instead of pursuing um, the dissertation and, and the doctorate. Um, I don't like to look back on my life and, and have regrets because I think that um, everything um, there, there's something enjoyable um, and valuable in in every in, in just about everything that I've done. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely that NGO that I started in two, that I co-founded in 2009 definitely gave me excellent experience in everything digital marketing um, and in working remotely and. I started that just because I was really passionate and not because I knew a whole lot about everything, but I knew I was better than the people that needed the support at, at doing, at providing the service that I provided. And so, um, I provided the service and, and, and it worked out for four years. So it was a really great experience. It was a great learning experience. It sounds like it. So at what point did you start this NGO? Did you say you were still studying at that time? So at that point, I'd finished a master's degree and I was just working. And I had decided that um, I wanted to do, I wanted to take uh, like a couple months off or a couple weeks off of work and go to Rio de Janeiro to volunteer um, just because I had... um, years before I had spent a couple months in Rio or I'm sorry, not in Rio in Maceo in Brazil. And, um, and I learned Portuguese, but I hadn't been back to Brazil in a number of years. And I decided to go back. Um, and I got in touch with a, um, an art space nonprofit that I really liked what they were doing. And there was a woman who had volunteered there before me and she had, she worked as a, um, a post-production, um, in, in video. Um, well actually she worked in, in, in television as a post-production supervisor. Um, and so she helped them with, um, marketing content, um, for, for, for what they did and uh, along the lines of what she could do. Um, and I, I came, I think the same week that she left and I helped them design a website, but then I chatted with her, um, on Facebook and we, um, we just hit it off and we decided to, um, found this business consultancy together to help out, to help them out because we knew that, um, we had the skills to do so. Um, and I mean, you 
it feels like you kind of you kind of touched on well earlier you know you were talking about you said you just you just did it because you it was something you were passionate about um at at, at that point was it very much did you know what it would be, become um because uh, the reason i ask that is because i feel like now it's kind of starting a business i'm a i'm a procrastinator and an overanalyzer um and actually when i was younger um there were a couple of things i did um i just kind of started um i remember the the asian tsunami happened and i just figured out how to start a website and 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 write about it and 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 kind of show people where they could donate um obviously this ngo is a a little bit more complex than 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 just a website but um if it sounds like from what you're saying you just kind of went with the flow and figured things out as you went along uh, without worrying too much about them is that is that is that fair to say that's definitely what it was um and i think it's kind of funny now that i know so much more about the digital marketing space um i i i thought i knew back then i knew how to design a website um but i i i knew very little compared to what i know now um and i wasn't worried about it though i just figured i'd um i could learn and i could figure things out and um and so i just started doing, doing the website and, and making the, the NG, like forming the NGO and then registering as a 501c3. I figured if I could Google it, I could figure it out. Right. And, and is it amazing just how, I don't know, you've just tapped into something for me, you know, when I was younger, just being a bit more carefree and not worrying so much about everything. Sometimes it feels like, um, yeah and uh, it and rather than again things happening for a reason you said it was that trip that took you for three weeks in Europe when you met others who were doing it who was it them that told you that you were ready for it or that or then that inspired you to be like you know what I, I think I'm ready to to do this full time it was both. Um, I knew that I was really unhappy with my situation. And I knew that um, just from common sense, if one, if you're going down one path and that doesn't work for you, then don't stay on that path, change and, and go another direction. Um, yeah. And so it's a little bit different though when it's your life and it's your career. Um, but I... I think that um, sometimes we have to give ourselves a hard stop um, and force ourselves to change directions. And so I started having conversations first with my Airbnb host in Lisbon, my first city, um, and then with my um, photographer friend in the second city, um, and then with a taxi driver that brought me to the airport, you know, to go to an- to, to go to another city. Um, I kept having conversations and I think each conversation I had with, with people I met or already knew in Europe, um, I would develop more my story and my intention of why I wanted to quit my job and what I wanted to do. So, um, along the way though, every single person said I was ready and that I should, um, I actually had this taxi driver that brought me to the airport for me to leave Italy and go to Spain. Um, he was so excited for me and he was so encouraging instead of, um, stopping the taxi and letting me get out and him saying like, goodbye, he gets out of the taxi, shakes my hand, tells me good luck and tells me that, I better do this because he wishes I could do the same thing that he wishes that he could do the same thing. Um, and it was just such energy. It was so, it was so beautiful, but I thought, man, if I have all these people supporting me, I better do this. (laughs) Yeah. I could hear the emotion in your voice as you were talking about the taxi man. That sounds quite, um, yeah, quite like quite, quite, quite profound a moment. Yeah, he was great. He's he's a person that I wish I could keep in touch with, but it's just these these moments that happen in your life and you meet people and then and then you go away and they just stay as lovely memories that you carry with you. Yeah, sometimes they're just moments that 
kind of fleeting that are that are um, that carry a lot and I, and yeah are not just meant to meant to happen as they are. Um, I want to move along a little bit now, Bryn, if I may, um, and talk a little bit about high sensitivity because um, I know you're someone who um, relates to being a highly sensitive person, someone who uh, who's uh, empathetic. And in your written interview, you said, I started observing the patterns of when people would cross the acceptable line for me, and I plugged into the nuances of how I felt when that happened. Um, and you, you, you were you know, kind of talking about how, you know, you, you realized when you were in college that people were kind of energy takers. You said, I think your words were that some people would really suck me dry. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you about that first line I read out about observing the patterns of when people would cross that line. How is it you've managed to, um, I guess, I guess how, how, how is it you realize that that's happening? Are, are there any kind of indicators that, that kind of crop up for you um, in being like, well, you know what, I need to just take it easy and, and not invest myself too fully? Because I think that's, that, that's something that so many of us can relate to um, as highly sensitive people, as, as a lot of INFPs and INFJs are. I think that's a really good question, and it's not something that I can answer um, in in definite terms. Um, what I've been doing off and on for my entire adult life is digging into um, um, either working with a therapist or reading um, books myself on um, psychology, anthropology, sociology, looking at trends in societies, um, understanding different personalities, understanding how um, different people will interact together. Um, I was very concerned. um, Well, I still am concerned, but for a period of time, I was very concerned about um, how people treat other people um, in society. Um, and, and the resulting discrimination, discrimination, racism, and xenophobia that can exist. Um, and that turned me on to recognizing microaggressions, um, against other people and against me in my own personal life. And those are very subtle. Um, but it's, it's a difference of noticing how, for example, someone says something to you um, that is a little bit um, disrespectful versus how they say um, a similar message, but that's more empowering to someone else that they um, respect more. Um, and so I noticed the nuances in the communication as a result of all of my observing in my life and then the reading and the personal work that I, I had been doing. Um, and so instead of, instead of trying to change people and tell them what they should say to me, um, that would be fair. I just decided to, um, distance myself from, from certain people, um, because I noticed the microaggressions and the subtle, um, signs of disrespect that they were giving me. I think that when this was happening, it wasn't always completely um, cogn- it wasn't always completely um, something they were doing on purpose. They weren't cognizant of what they were doing. Um, but I think it goes to um, what Elaine Aaron says in her book, um, "The Highly Sensitive Person," of how the qualities and characteristics of a of a highly sensitive person aren't always um, accepted as desirable um, in Western societies, but but they are in Eastern societies that are quieter um, and maybe more introspective. Um, and, and so I think the quieter aspects of me and the analytical and observing aspects of me, some people don't like that. Um, and so that um, dissatisfaction will come across in their um, in their communication with me. Right. Yeah, I understand. I actually, um, you, you mentioned Elaine Aaron's book. I, I'd, I'd recommend that anyone read that. That was actually the, it was her test online. And then the book that I read that made me realize I was highly sensitive. Um, and I, 
already discovered I was an introvert, but it was when I also discovered that I was highly sensitive too that even more started making sense for me. Um, and I was actually really pleased. I was in a bookstore yesterday. Um, it's called Waterstone. So it's like our equivalent of foils, if you like. Um, and in the, I was I was actually looking in the travel section, but right next to right uh, opposite it was the self help section, and I actually saw um, Elaine's book, Elaine Aaron's book, the highly sensitive person there, um, which was great. I've never actually seen that kind of um, yeah out in like a mainstream bookstore like that. But yeah, no, I'd really encourage that people people read that, and um, I think what you said struck a bit of a tone with me because. I realized that um, because I am so highly sensitive and in tune with what's what I'm feeling, um, whether they realize it or not, certain people um, or certain conversations can have an impact on me that feels not nice or a bit uncomfortable. Um, and I kind of tend to do the same. I try and um, best I can let it go or distance myself or maybe um you know not engage further in that conversation like I might have done uh, even just a couple of years ago um that, that boundaries and and, and energy and uh, uh, navigating uh forget relationships even in even interact interactions we we might have that are fleeting I, I think are so important for us yeah and I think that um, what you said is you you try to let it go, but you do you are highly sensitive and you do notice notice the subtleties in in conversation and and what's happening around you. I think that um, it is important to not make other people feel uncomfortable to the point that um, you're kind of grinding against um, how they see things. Um, and how you see things. Um, I don't think it's, it's um, a good idea to, to not tell people how you feel. But I think it is um, a good idea to recognize what is possible in a situation. So if you can't change um, how someone um, talks to you, and it's not that obvious to say the rest of the world, <laughs> um, then it's a good idea to draw those boundaries so it doesn't affect you so much. But even that being said, it still, I mean, being a highly sensitive person, it will still affect you and you'll, you'll remember it and you'll feel it. Um, but I think it's important to recognize. Um, and I don't know um, how many of the listeners are going to agree with this statement, but I think that a lot of adults walking around, they're still children um, in their minds. And so it's, it's, it's important to recognize that everyone is doing the best that they can, given what they have to work with. Yeah, so. no, for sure. Um, and you touched on something really important there um, uh, in terms of uh, feelings and, and self-expression. Um, that was something I think I became aware, first aware, uh, was like a thing for me and something I, I ought to get better at when I was in, I think it was when I was in therapy. Um, and that, that's still something I'm, I'm working on. Um, and that doesn't come naturally to me, um, truly expressing how I really feel in the moment. Um, I, I know I could do better and I know that, um, it's really important not to, cause what I found is, uh, uh, these, if you if holding too much stuff in and, and actually not like, you know, not, not being aggressive, but actually just holding your own a bit and, and maybe um, saying to the other person, actually what you've said in this way has made me feel like this, for example, I think it's so important because um, I don't know, it feels like for me, I, I, I've over the years, I, I let things build up inside of me and, and was, let myself be taken advantage of. So, uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to, I, yeah, I just wanted to do, to pick up on that point specifically because it, um, because it resonated. Yeah. I think for me as well. And I think for a lot of people, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what you're feeling in, in any given moment and, and exactly why. Um, right. but yeah. what, um, 
my therapist said to me is don't worry about it so much because there's always another knucklehead you can practice with. Um, And I'm so glad that he said that because it it was funny and it's something that I'll always remember that there's always another another opportunity to practice clear communication um, just about every day. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All all of this is stuff that um, uh, are... are uh, works in progress um, and never quite done if you if, if that makes sense um we're coming to the end now um Bryn. that's flown by as i as i thought it would um you may i i, I wanted to talk to you about meditation and journaling because um i think one of the questions towards the end was what what, what advice might you give for other infps and j's and you mentioned both of those things do, do you do, do you practice both of those things currently yeah. Um, so the journaling came in um, at the beginning of 2019. Um, a neighbor gave me the book, The Artist's Way, as a gift. Um, and she she had done it a couple times herself. And she basically said, you need this and I think you'll like it. <laughs> and so I read um, by myself the first two chapters and did the activities um, and I honestly couldn't do the whole book um, by myself. Um, but what I was able to institute um, the beginning of last year was journaling every morning, um, doing the morning pages and writing three pages of whatever came to my mind when I first woke up in the morning. Um, and so I do that. And then I also have been meditating. Um, I'll go through periods of where I meditate regularly, and I've been doing that off and on for probably about 20 years. Um, I find that it helps me um, get on the right foot in the morning, but it also accumulates to where I can um, find peace more easily um, no matter what is going on around me. And then going back to what we were just talking about, I can also identify my feelings and the cause of my feelings uh, more easily if I'm meditating regularly. And I don't think meditation is easy at all. Um, so I use the Calm app to give me guided meditations. Um, so I I do that um, most mornings for like ten minutes as well. Yeah, that's actually. Um, I'll be honest, I've fallen out of practice with it, but Calm is the one I use as well. I think I I I, I think I've got a. Um, I think I paid for the year. Um, and it will take me up to the end of this year because um, I did that fairly recently. But yeah, um, I've used Headspace in the in the past. But yeah, these apps are are great, and and people tend to respond quite differently to to meditation, and some find it easier than others. But I it's definitely helped me in lots of ways. As has um, something I have been doing um, is uh, the morning pages. Sometimes I don't do it in the morning. Sometimes I do it towards the end of the day. Okay. Um, but that really helps me, yeah, just to um, let out. And, and the end of the day is quite nice because I can sometimes find that just from whatever I've been doing or working on or com- even conversations I've had, there's stuff for me to process. And it just helps me get some of that out and, and, and quiet my mind a little bit before I um, before my head hits the pillow. Yeah. Um, so did you do the artist way as well? You know what? I've 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 not actually done that. Um, I funnily enough bought that book from my mum um, a few months back, um, and uh, yeah, no, I've 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 at, I think at some point I probably will do it, but I I haven't as yet. Would you recommend it? I've heard good things. Yeah. So what I ended up doing is I googled um, artist way groups in Austin, Texas, and I found. Um, a woman who hosted um, a group of seven women um, in an apartment um, in downtown Austin to actually do all of the activities together and, and um, kind of we were accountability partners for each other. Um, and I I loved the experience as far as um, sharing with these other people um, my experiences, reading and doing all the activities. Um, and I think that it really helped me identify my goals of what I want to do, um, not just this year, but, um, what I want to be known for in my life. Um, 
but one of the activities that she has you do, um, I think in two separate weeks is read your morning pages, um, and identify, um, any patterns or any, um, pending to do's. Um, and I thought it was interesting how boring my morning pages were. (laughs) Um, normally I just write them and then I actually, um, once I finish the journal, I shred them. Um, but reading again, my morning pages, I realized that they're really beneficial to me. But if I look at what I'm writing about, it's a bunch of, um, just mundaneness. Um, and, in a lot of stuff of like what happens or, and conversations I had and what I have to do. Yeah. Re- really interesting. I've actually got, um, half an eye on, uh, there's something called the gathering of the creatives. Uh, which I think has been running every year um, by um, an INFJ called uh, Jacob Nordby. Um, it's in Santa Fe in September, and the um, the, the, the 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 I think the, the, the headline speaker is always Julia Cameron. Oh, really? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. If you're interested? I can I can send you the link. Yeah, I love that. Um. I was fortunate to um to interview Jacob recently and uh yeah a, a, a friend of mine Lauren has recommended it and I really want to go to it this year but yeah I'll share I'll share that link with you okay sure. yeah I'd really appreciate that no worries um Bryn, thanks so much for doing this I wanted to ask you um if anyone listening to this wants to um find out more about you um where can they find you where can they go to connect with you the best place to find out about me and to find all of my social media is by going to brinelizabeth.co um that's my business website but at the bottom you'll see all of my um my my contact information my email my phone number and my social media links perfect well um Thanks once again for for taking part in this. Um, Yeah, no, it's been really good fun. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation and thank you for giving me this opportunity to be on your podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Before I let you go, I wanted to invite you to INF Club, an online home for INFJs and INFPs. And it's the resource that I wish I'd had a few years ago. INF Club is a place where you can find resources in the form of written, audio and video content to help you go even deeper on your journey of self-discovery and personal growth and in the company of others who are just like you. You can sign up for free as a subscriber or you can join as a supporter where you'll receive additional benefits including access to even more content and to a community of INFJs and INFPs all around the world. So wherever you are, just head over to www.infclub.net and you'll be able to dive right in. With that being said, thanks so much for listening today and I'll see you next time.